0: All right, we are going to continue our series on pleasing God. And uh, as you remember, I kind of described that, that from our perspective, when what we're doing, believing, saying, not saying, and trying to please God from God's perspective is looking down on us in favor. And last week we looked at the first of the three things that we find from Isaiah 66. We'll go ahead and get back to that passage. It is the key theme first for us. It's Isaiah 66, verse 1 through 2, and it says, this is what the Lord says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where could you possibly build a house for me? Where would my resting place be? My hand has made all these things, and so they all came into being. This is the Lord's declaration. I will look favorably on this kind of person, one who is humble submissive in spirit, and trembles at my word. I love that passage. So we've already hit humility last week, but obviously we need to continue to be humble. I believe there is a progression in this verse that if we want to get to the point of trembling at His word, we got to be able to be submissive in spirit. But to be submissive in spirit, we're going to have to be humble. So as we're striving to be humble, we now hit the second theme, to be submissive in spirit. And what what does that mean? mean. Well, if we looked at the Hebrew here translated submissive, you literally could translate this broken in spirit. Now you might think, how is that something God looks on in favor? I mean often when we're in those moments, as a lot of our Christian heritage calls the dark night of the soul, that's the last thing we think is God looks on us in favor when we're in those places. How could he possibly look on a broken spirit as something favorable and, in fact, from our perspective, actually pleasing to God? Well, look at this passage in Psalm 51, and as you know, the context of the psalm, this is by King David. and In verse 17, it says this, "...the sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. You will not despise a broken and humbled heart, God." The background of this psalm is where King David writes very publicly, because we have it and we're reading it, his very big sins, where he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he had committed murder by killing her husband. See, David sinned big, but he also repented even bigger. And this verse, though part of the whole psalm, is very much connected to the verse preceding it. So for context's sake, let's go back and read verse 16. You do not want a sacrifice, or I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. There is something David understood that even when you're in that dark place, even when you're broken, even because of your own sin in this case, he understood that just external devotion is not enough. In fact, it doesn't do anything. It's the internal repentance that pleases God. Often we, rather than repenting, really being broken in spirit, submissive in spirit, when we have erred and we know we have, we try to do it without repentance. Here's what happens when we do that. Rather than repent, we just try to clean up our act. Well, I blew it, but I won't confess to anyone, I'm just going to do differently, I'm going to clean up my act. For how long? Right? Before it happens again. Some of us go, well, I just need to pray more. Right? Yet the problem is, is when you're in that broken place, prayer is usually the hardest thing to do. <laughs> right? right? So I don't even feel like I can pray to God. I've sinned and I know it. And, but, well, I've got to pray more. Some, well, I'm going to give more, okay? I, I sinned because I was selfish, so I'm just going to give my time. I'm going to give money. I'll just give more and I'll be okay. Or some of us just try to do more. I'm just going to do more spiritual activities. But never actually deal with the offense. Right. Never actually take ownership and be broken about our sin. What Psalm 51 teaches us is God wants none of that. He doesn't want any of that. What He wants is heartfelt repentance. Repentance. He doesn't want external activity. He wants internal transformation. See, when we agree with God about how bad our sin is, we're taking a step toward being submissive in spirit. But when we try to justify, excuse, or rationalize the evil of our own hearts, then we are absolutely prevented from pleasing God, or even Him being able to look on us, in favor. So, really, being submissive in spirit is not trying to look good. It's actually about looking real, even if it's bad. I'm not saying look bad just for the sake of looking bad's sake. But if we are bad, then be that. Be real. Be broken about it before God. You know, it was interesting as I continued to prepare this series, and with, Saul, with Isaiah 66 really being kind of the key verse, I was really excited to find out that Isaiah 66, 1 and 2 was, was, actually, was actually quoted twice in the New Testament. And there's some really interesting things, because whenever the New Testament authors quote Old Testament, it actually gives us some great insight to what's called hermeneutics. That's in the theology thinking, I'll, I'll tell you what hermeneutics is. Hermeneutics is, is how are you interpreting the text in your context. So in other words, they were looking at the Old Testament, something that was written before their time, but in their present context, what does that mean for them? So when they're quoting Old Testament Scripture, they're practicing hermeneutics, which is what we are all trying to do, right? We're reading the Old or New Testament, and we're trying to interpret what does that mean for us, without getting away from the truth, but maybe seeing that there's some cultural and contextual differences in our present moment. Without changing the truth of the word. That's what interpretation and hermeneutics is all about, and we have to be very careful with that. But let's look at these two passages where they quote Isaiah 66 and see what why they quote it and what that could teach us about being submissive in spirit. The first one, no surprise, is from Jesus. And it actually takes place in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's in the text area of the Sermon on the Mount where we're describing making oaths. So in here in Matthew 5, 34, you're going to see Isaiah 66. Verse 34 says, But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, because it's God's throne, Isaiah 66, verse 1, or by the earth, because it's its footstool. Also Isaiah 66, verse 1. Or by Jerusalem, because it's the city of the great king. So he's quoting Isaiah 66. Why? Because in many of the topics on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is addressing the importance of having the right heart, the inner, the internal, not just the external acts or the religious traditions of just the temple worship. So he's confronting it. It's like, I know you make oaths by the temple, by God in, the, in heaven who's the throne, earth that's his footstool, but you know what? Don't do that. What's more important and pleasing to God is a submissive spirit. And you go, well, how do I know that that's what Jesus is referring to? Because if you go to the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, you'll find verse 2 of Isaiah 66. Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed Are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. When Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount, He was thinking about what does God look on in favor? And it's a broken spirit. It's a submissive spirit, or as He translates, poor in spirit. But what does that really mean, poor in spirit? There's a great theological debate, and it can go all over the place, but in simplistic essence... To be poor in the Spirit means being a beggar. Because you can be poor and not a beggar. Right? Because you may have something. You're poor compared to others. But a beggar automatically knows they have nothing. A true beggar, I have nothing. I cannot survive without begging. So when he says, blessed are the poor in Spirit, he's saying, blessed are those who realize without God they have nothing. That their entire existence, not just for their daily bread, but their very existence every day, they have to beg for God for. See, our problem in our society, and some of us, they think we're poor, which compared to the world, we're not, we're rich. But even if you think you're poor, that's okay, from your perspective, you still have something. And I think that something interferes with us spiritually because we don't really beg God for our existence. We have our existence off our power, our possessions first, and then if something hits us that we can't take, now we beg God. So we beg, but we're not a beggar. I should have, even looking at my possessions, even looking at my riches, go, wake up in the morning and go, God, I need you today. I know i got money in the account. I know I can pay this bill. I know that you've blessed me with gifts and I have a job. But you know what? I can't breathe without you. If you were to remove your spirit from this earth, we all would perish. I beg for you, existence. Thank you for giving me another day. Right? That's what it would mean to be poor in spirit. That's crazy. The second place... That this passage is quoted is from another man who also would die for his faith, Stephen. As you know, Stephen was one of the first martyrs of the church. And what happens in context is he's basically taken before the Sanhedrin, which is the religious entity and authority of that time at that moment. And he'd actually been accused of blasphemy, particularly toward the law and especially the temple. Because he was preaching what Jesus said. I'm going to tear down this temple in three days and I will build it again. So I was referring to the inner kingdom of God and not an external. Because God looks at what's in the heart. And so they bring Stephen before him and Stephen goes on with this amazing sermon. Man, Stephen knew his Bible because he went like from Genesis all the way up to Jesus. It's an amazing message. I won't read it today. But I will read where he quotes Isaiah 66. And what could it possibly tell us as he's looking back at that Isaiah... And interpreting it in his context, what do it we mean to be submissive in spirit. In Acts 7, verse 49, it says this, Heaven is my throne, and the earth my footstool. What sort of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or will, what will be my resting place? Did not my hand make all these things? So he quotes it directly, and then look what he says to them, the Sanhedrin, the religious establishment, the religious authority... You stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts. You may be circumcised as Jews, but you have uncircumcised hearts and ears. You are always resisting the Holy Spirit as your ancestors did. You do also. Wow. So he's basically saying to be submissive in spirit means you follow the Spirit's leading. You listen to what the Spirit is saying. And the Spirit was trying to tell the Jews, the Messiah is here. But He's not a returning, conquering King. He is a Savior, a Messiah that has to die. And they didn't want to accept it. They resisted. It makes me ask myself, and you need to probably ask yourself, is there anything in your life right now you're resisting the Spirit on? I could probably guess, because I could see it in my own life. Maybe there's, you're struggling with something, And you you ever get that feeling like, oh, I should be open about this? Why do you think you you get this feeling to be open about it? Because the Spirit is saying, get open about it. And you feel it, don't you? Especially if you're in like a D group, and the very thing you're struggling with, someone just gets open, you're like, oh, I thought I escaped this time. Are you resisting the Spirit? What about if there's a particular thing that your children have been saying to you parents? Are you listening? I got discipled by my kid this week. I'll be honest, and I needed it. I'm not going to say who it was and what was said for the sake of protecting them, but let's just say I needed to repent. I needed to listen better. I needed to consider their needs and not just mine. If I want to be pleasing to God, if I want God to look in favor, I need to have that submissive spirit where I'm going to go, yeah, though I'm the authority, though I'm the dad, why can't I put myself in a place to submit to their needs? Right? Isn't that what God does? Submissive in spirit. This is challenging. Are we resisting the Spirit? Then we cannot please God. We have to submit to it. Now, if we're not reading the Word, it's going to be really hard to submit to it. Because right. then how will you know what inner voice is the Holy Spirit or your sinful nature? Right? <laughs> right? I get it all the time. Trust me, being a minister, I got me to all kinds of people. The Spirit told me. How? And what? Well, the Spirit said, this was okay. Well, you're, what you're saying is sin, and the Bible, specifically by the Holy Spirit who wrote it, condemns. So how could the Spirit be telling you that? Well, because I had this feeling. Without the Word of God, guys, we can't know which voice is talking to us. The Spirit will never say anything Jesus Himself wouldn't say. Jesus even said that. The Spirit only says what I tell it to. Jesus is still alive. He's up there. He's waiting to return. And He's He's speaking. And you know God listens. Because I know many of you, you've come up to me over the years, Derek, did, was my name on that first point? And second point? And third point? How'd you know? Who told you? <laughs> no one told me. I, in fact, I didn't even know it was you. I had someone else in mind. <laughs> and you see, the other person in mind was me. <laughs> She's usually myself I'm dealing with when I'm preaching. And they go, how'd you know? I was like, because the Spirit listens. Amen. Don't you know the pastor says the Spirit Groans for you even when you don't know what to say? Yeah. So when you're struggling and you're not listening to the spirit, you're resisting it, the spirit still talks for you. Goes, Lord, he's not listening. Okay, talk to Derek. Talk to the brothers and sisters in his life. And then I'm be praying and like, what should I talk about this week? Oh, that's a good one. Where'd that come from? You because the spirit was listening. How much more incredible would our lives be if we all were submissive in spirit? Have you ever been out and you know as a disciple of Jesus we should be sharing our faith? Yeah. And you're about to leave and you just get that, yeah. go back, go back, say something. Yeah. And don't you hate it when you don't? Yeah. It just bugs you for like days, hopefully. But isn't it great when you actually do listen to it? And then it's like amazing and you're like, oh man, why didn't I? Of course! Spirit knows what it's doing. Yeah. But are we submitting to it. So we see from these two passages, guys, it's amazing. If we're not submissive in spirit, we can't please God. The Jews ultimately rejected Jesus. They think they were pleasing God by killing Jesus. But in the end, they weren't. Many of us, we come from religious backgrounds, we think, well, no, I'm I'm doing what God wants. Are you sure? Or are you just following what you were taught, and are you sure that teaching is aligned with what Jesus said and not what Western Christianity has said? Because you need to submit to the Spirit, not to teaching from man. And unless you know what the Word says, you'll never know. And Satan would love to say, yeah, you're submitting to the Spirit. Mine. He knows the Bible better than most of us. we got to know what the Scripture says. But see, that word submission, let's just be honest, when I go, submission. It's like Mufasa. Mufasa, ooh. Right? And I notice the women cringe more than the men. Whenever I go, submission, oh, here we go again. But what is submission? Why is it such a negative word in our society today? You know, I have this great book that I had to read for one of my classes on spiritual disciplines, and one of the disciplines, believe it or not, is submission. Here's what it had to say. The notion of giving up power conjures up images of becoming a doormat, a weak-willed non-entity, or a brainwashed cult follower. But this perception is miles away from the biblical model of submission. Godly submission is rooted in God's good and loving intentions for each one of us. Submission is not something God forces down our throats, because forcing people to submit is oppression. Therefore, biblical submission does not trap a people in abusive relationships that rob them of their freedom. Submission is a way we allow God's kingdom... Agenda to shape our choices, relationships, and vocations. And it always works in conjunction with our personal freedom. (laughs) See, the reality is, women, when you're asked to submit, do you realize you're being asked to be powerful? Because you can't submit because someone expects it or commands it. Submission can only come from the choice of the person submitting. The power is not in the one being submitted to. The power is in the one choosing to submit. So women, when you're called to submit, you're called to be powerful. And here's the other thing. You can't submit if you agree. That's agreeing. To even begin to submit to your husband, you actually have to have a different opinion. Good point. My opinion is this. Your opinion is this. But for sake of unity, for sake of reverence to the Lord, who I submit to ultimately, I'm going to give up my opinion. I'm going to surrender my power and submit to yours. So, any wives where your husband says, You just need to submit, woman, and you need to not have your own opinion, then you say, I can't submit if I don't have my own opinion. I'm just giving you that power right now. Okay. But now let me talk to the men. Because before you even get to the passage in Ephesians 5, which I was referring to, about women submit to their husbands, there's a little verse that starts all of it that says, "...submit to one another." That's talking to both men and women. So if I'm submitting to one another, and the other happens to be my wife, I actually can submit to my wife. Now, the difference that Ephesians goes on to say, not in authority. I am considered the head, and that's not because I'm better, greater, or nothing. The one who's submissive has power. But that's just the way God organized the relationship. So how do I submit to my wife? I submit to her need. Which often the need is to be loved, and why God then commands, husbands, love your wives. It's submission. Love is a form of submission. It's a denial of myself and what I want, so that I can submit to the love needed by someone else. The command is to all of us to submit to one another. The Bible is actually full of entities that we need to submit to. So I think it's important to recognize them. Some of them you're not going to like in our present governmental situation. But the Bible says it, so we're going to go ahead and read it. First thing we've got to submit to, governing authorities. That includes our government, as much as some of you may not like that. It says in Romans 13.1, Let everyone submit to the governing authority, since there is no authority except from God. See, when we rebel against our authority, now remember, submitting to it doesn't mean we agree. We can have a different opinion. There's some things, I have opinions the government should change. But you know what? I'm going to submit because I'm submitting to God. Now, by my time, I will pray, I will live the way God wants me to live, and God will work it out somehow, even if that means my death. Right? That's what Jesus did. He says, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. Now, that's where we can take this really out of thing. Well, what about Hitler? God instituted Hitler? No. He gives every man free will. Hitler had a free will that was twisted, But he still allowed that to happen because he's given man free will. So it doesn't mean God makes bad governments. But if that government is allowed to be there, and God hasn't taken out, and he can. He's done it many times throughout the centuries. He might take ours out at some point. Because we keep saying, in God we trust and we don't. But we need to submit. Because we're actually submitting to God. Human authority. So let's get a little more specific. Okay, I can submit to the general USA government. Overall, it's okay. I still got some rights. But man, when you talk about individuals within that government, he goes a little more specific. Human authorities. 1 Peter 2, verse 13-14. through 14. Submit to every... There's no exception here. Human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors... As those sent out by Him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. Obviously, this was written in a time where the titles of human authority were emperor and governors. To us today, president, judges, police officers, teachers, human authority—we need to submit. Come on, Derek. Reach. But He doesn't say because they're all good. But do we have a submissive spirit? Do we trust? God, I beg God, God, I know this is terrible what's going on, but I'm going to trust you. Think of how the Israelites, for 70 years in captivity in Babylonia, they held on. God, one day, one day they were restored. The temple was rebuilt. America could be a country that God trusts in someday. I don't know. Maybe not. But I'm going to submit either way until that day comes. How about this one? Hard-working leaders. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 15. Brothers and sisters, you know the household of Stephanus. They are the first fruits of Achaia and have devoted themselves to serving the saints. I urge you also to submit to such people and to everyone who works and labors with them. I want to talk to some of the members here. When your Bible talk leader, your small group leader, calls a group together for whatever reason, do you just ignore it? Do you just dismiss it, I'm busy? If they try to confront you to help you spiritually, do you just go, no, it doesn't matter? Do you realize you're sinning? You're not submitting to those who serve you in the Lord. Our city group leaders, our Bible talk leaders, they have a life, they have challenges, they have children to raise, they have jobs, and yet they are willing to take on this burden of looking out for you, and you ignore their email? You dismiss their input and advice? You unsubmissive, stiff necked person! That's how God would look at it. Submit to those who work hard in you. Our leaders work hard in this church, and they deserve a hand for that work. Yes, you clap for them. Leanne and I could not do it without them. But you've got to ask are we submitting to them? To something that God put out there. I didn't say this, guys. I'm not saying it because I'm in the role as the evangelist. You need to submit. I'm not the one asking you. God is. Here's a very important one to submit to God. (laughs) In case you were wondering, if he'd be on the list. Yes, he's probably first on the list. He's also second on the list, third on the list, fourth. He's in all of them. We submit to any of these things because we submit to God. James 4 7, therefore submit to God. And look at how it kind of defines submission to God resist the devil. Part of our submitting is resisting. Because remember, a submissive spirit listens to the spirit, doesn't resist it. If you're listening to the devil, then you're resisting the spirit. Resist the devil, listen to the spirit, now you're submitting to God. That's what it's saying. That's important. And then the one that I think all of us, we've heard it, we know it, but it's the hardest one. One another. Ephesians 5.21 Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Do you realize that this submission, this submissive spirit, has nothing to do about roles and authority? It has to do with what we talked about last week, humility, knowing that we're all part of something bigger and that God can use anyone, anything, to help us. We need to submit to one another. Men can learn from women. Women can learn from men. Old can learn from young. Young can learn from old. It doesn't matter. We, we have to submit to one another. And really what it means is if we don't know each other's needs, we can't do that. How do we submit to the needs? Because it's not a question of authority. It's a question of needs. What's in our hearts? If we're not close, if we're not tight, if we're not real, if we're not open, we can't even obey this passage. But like in our family, we're going to sin. We're sinners. But you know what? When it happens... I appreciate my wife going, Honey, come over here. Tell them. Didn't want to tell me, but eventually did. And probably to their surprise, I listened. Amen. I've been trained well. And I tried to change it, and I changed it pretty quickly. And I need to continue to work on it. Because I want to be pleasing to God. I want God to look on me in favor. I want to be submissive in spirit. How about you? All right. So that talks about whom we need to, to, to be submissive to. But I think it's also important to know what does that look like? What does a person who has a submissive spirit look like? And the same author of the quote I said earlier, Calhoun, goes on to describe some very important attributes. So let's look at those quickly. This is someone who's submissive in spirit. Seeking God's will, no matter where it leads, and doing it. Allowing others to mentor... Teach, correct, and guide you. That's a submissive spirit. Being a good follower. Mm. Laying aside the need to be in charge. Ooh, that's a tough one for me. I like being in charge. But a submissive spirit's going, you know what, I don't have to be in charge. God has given other people gifts that can lead here. I don't need to take over. In fact, I need to empower them. In fact, let them. I can learn from them, I can follow them. Willing and eager obedience to God and to those whom you owe obedience. And here's the funny thing, guys we submit all the time and we don't even realize it. Why do you go to your work on time? You're submitting. That's what was expected. Kids, why do you actually do your homework and turn it in? Because you're submitting. Anyone who has a, a coach, whether it's music or sports, why do you do what they tell you? Because you're submitting. Yeah. And every time I've looked at my life, submitting has always been to my benefit. I can't think of a single moment where submitting hurt me. I, I tried. I was like, no, there's got to be one. There's got to be a few where I submitted and it actually hurt me. It may have been hurtful submitting, <laughs> fighting my pride, my ego, my way, my wanting to be in charge. But... In submitting, it always led to my benefit. How about you? Now, I like this last one being an eager learner, trainable, and tractable. And you go, okay, what's tractable? I looked it up too. I was like, what's tractable? It sounds like a tractor. Tractable simply means easy to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, Stan. And see, we all think we're easy to deal with until you ask other people, right? But that's a submissive spirit. You know, it should not surprise us that when God looked on Jesus, He found favor. Because I think if there's any individual who truly exemplified a submissive spirit, it was Jesus. Yes in fact, there's one passage, it's in Hebrews 5, 7, it's one of my favorite verses, because it describes Jesus' entire life on earth in one sentence. And what's interesting is, if I were going to write about Jesus in one sentence, what would I want to include in that sentence? I would think, well man, all the miracles, the power he had, maybe his teaching, his authority, all his compassion, his love. I mean, all these things, right? You would think, you've got to include this in the sentence. None of those things I just said are in it. What? Here's what it says. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, and the Greek is sarkos, which means flesh, so it's in his human body, he offered up prayers and petitions. We do a lot of petitioning, so what's prayer? Hmm, be a good thing to study out. Prayers with loud cries and tears. That's one place I can go, I can be loud. (laughs) <laughs> but I guess it's in prayers, not when talking to you, so I've got to work on that. <laughs> Loud cries of tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. That was a submissive spirit. And what this also tells me is just maybe that beggar is connected to prayer. That maybe prayer, like Jesus... And having and maintaining a submissive spirit go hand in hand, I have a feeling it does. If we want to be submissive in spirit, we've got to imitate the prayer life of Jesus. You know, think of the Garden of Gethsemane, he had a different opinion. Lord, is there any other way? He asked it three times. He was trying, like, "I have a different opinion, Lord, but you know what? Your will, not my will be done." Amen." And he submitted. If he didn't have a different opinion, he couldn't have submitted. He just agreed. But he submitted because he did have a different opinion. But he submitted to the Lord's will rather than his own. So I want to end with one really important question. Does God submit? Oh, I can see your, your minds, man. They're going, wait a minute. No, he can't. He's the supreme authority. Well, may read this passage as we close out. This is the coolest passage about God and whether He submits or not. Isaiah 57, 15. For the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place. Where is He? He's, he's, he's high. He's in a place of strength. And then look what it says next. And with the oppressed and lowly of spirit. I'm here, I am here, but you're there. I'm going to submit and go there for your needs. Because look what it says next. To revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the oppressed. God Himself submits to our need. No matter where you're at in life right now, No matter if you have a darkness of the soul or you're like jumping with joy, you're never alone. God is willing to submit. He's willing to go to the low. When you think you are not pleasing to God when you're in that place, God is actually very pleased if you're willing to admit you're in that place and you beg Him, then He will be there. And He will submit to your need and He will revive your heart. He will restore what is broken. He will ignite new dreams. He will give you and renew your purpose. So guys, I hope today we've learned what pleases God and what He looks on in favor is not only being humble, it's being submissive in spirit. Submit to God. Submit to one another. Submit to the authorities. But most of all, let's submit to the needs.